Welcome to The Big Deal with Glenn Ferris, episode 37. This week is a special episode. I sit down with one of my favorite non-Texans on the planet, Dr. Michael Seaman. You may know him by his band, Shiny Around the Edges. Make sure to check out the links on glennferriscommercial.com, where I'm going to include their latest video, which is awesome. Uh, You may also know him by his impeccable taste in New Balance tennis shoes, or his impeccable taste in brightly colored pants. He's a -a one-of-a-kind guy, loving to death. When he decided to move to Colorado for a dream job, we were crushed, fortunately. Mike and his amazing wife, Jenny, come to visit Denton a couple of times a year and we get to catch up. And I've even visited Michael up in Denver and hung out with him up there. And as a matter of fact, they were in town playing the Kuzuathon last month, the uh, the fundraiser for Kuzu, the, the local nonprofit radio station. And I took advantage of that time to sit down with him and chat. So here it is. Oh, and another thing. I don't know if you've noticed or heard about this, but stay home, people. Instead of hitting your favorite restaurant or bar, stay home. Listen to a podcast. Have dinner with your family. Learn how to play an instrument. Start a YouTube channel. The world is your oyster, except for the part of the world that puts you in contact with other people. Stay kind, stay safe, stay home. And if you're sick of gawking, at the crap posting on Facebook, why don't you check out glennferriscommercial.com? That's where I've got the show links and the extras. Check out what I'm doing at Glenn Ferris on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Check it out. Subscribe and like. Uh, something to say about Twitter real quick. I found that to be the best place to get information. I follow medical professionals, scientists, other top-notch reality-based non-gaslighters, I love and follow a bunch of art bot accounts as well, which that's a great man. I love Twitter now. A couple of weeks ago, if you remember, I was really dogging on Twitter, but now I'm all about it. All about it. Anyways, thank you for liking and subscribing. Tell your friends. I'm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, all that stuff. Now give it up once again for one of my favorite non-Texans, Dr. Mike Seaman. I'm curious about this because it's, it's kind of a history that I don't know too much about. How did you get to LA? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I want to go back a little bit. So, uh, well, so it's like the origin story of Mike Seaman. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was so I was living in central Pennsylvania, which is. Um, Pretty much in the middle of the state. It's a little, yeah, it's in the middle. So Very, it's not, not just a clever name. No, no, it's actually a reason, regional designation. Um, and it's just, oh, that's not the town, central Pennsylvania. No, oh, I no. Was a, I was like, oh. <laughs> See, thought, that's, that's <laughs> Pennsylvania in some ways, it's almost like its own country. Like, um, you know, we'll call it PA. Yeah. Like, well, I've never lived in another state where you call your state by your initials. <laughs> and that's like normal uh everyone you you think you own the new jersey beach like uh-huh. you know new jersey just happens to be a place that you have to drive through to get to the beach that you own yeah. as a pa resident um so there's that uh i didn't i didn't realize that part of it yeah yeah wow. it's it's you know of course i joke but yeah. uh um it, it's 
it is different. It is definitely much different than anywhere else I've ever lived. Yeah. Like cold community or more, no. more urban or more rural? Um, or? It was actually very suburban, very okay. Norman Rockwell-esque. Okay. Um, where I lived was a suburb, theoretically, of Harrisburg, which is the state capital. But it's a suburb that would have been built in like the 1940s, 50s. Right. Um, so it's it's like a Norman Rockwell sort of architecture, painting, that kind of thing. Uh, very small, 14,000 people. We had an army base, uh, which was, I believe, logistic hub. And which makes sense because, honestly, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is know, probably about a half hour from New Cumberland, Pennsylvania, which I live. I love New Cumberland, one of my favorite towns of all time. Uh, uh, Carlisle is a trucking logistics hub, and it's one of those things that it just works out perfect if you have to go to New York, if you have to go south, east, or west. In the northeast region, Carlisle's apparently perfectly situated. So it's it's an interesting state in that way. It's a lot of logistics, and it's pretty large, like east to west. So you can have uh, Erie on the west side, which is much different than uh, Philadelphia, you know, on the eastern side. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. But also the history. I mean, that was an original colony. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Penn's Forest, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a commonwealth. It's not technically a state. Um, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Pennsylvania is a Commonwealth. I don't think it was actually ever, you know what that means? Technically a state. I, you know, and uh, as a graduate of a PhD public policy program, I hate to say this, but I don't even know what it means. (laughs) I just know that that's what we always are told when we're growing up in the, like Texas, Texas is a country. It it is. It's, it's America's answer to Australia. Rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I was living in this very small town in, in Pennsylvania, and I had always wanted to move west. Uh, probably the oddest thing is, you know, this is a fairly conservative small town that, you know, like any town in the USA. But for some reason, the middle school library used to get Action Now magazine, which was what happened after skateboarding magazine. And it was, if you ever get a hold of it, I know you can get them on eBay now and they're probably really, really expensive. I still have some somewhere in my, my boxes, but it was this great magazine that was at the forefront of extreme sports culture. So like when snowboarding was starting back, like Tom Sims back in like 85, that was in it. Um, BMXing, skateboarding, but also music, uh, black flag, Devo, adolescence, um, and it covered all of that, but yet it was in this glossy magazine that I found out later, I believe the company was kind of funded by Seven Eleven, and that's how it got national distribution. So my friends and I grew up, you know, in like seventh and eighth grade reading this really cool scene reports, basically from Los Angeles. And we were all like, man, we, we got to move to California someday. <laughs> of course. You got the bug. I got to do it. And uh, so that went on. And then later, I just always wanted to move west. I just, that's all I've always wanted to do. And I met my wife, Jennifer, who at the time was my girlfriend. And she wanted to move west as well. And she, at the time, for one year, lived in Hershey, Pennsylvania. 
uh, which is about 20 minutes south of where I lived. And it is true, the streetlights in Hershey on Chocolate Avenue are actually gigantic Hershey Kisses, which it, it's not a myth. I didn't wonder if that was true, but yeah, <laughs> that's fascinating. It is true. And there's some days you get there and it smells like chocolate. Really? Like, through the whole town. Not yeah. a horrible smell. No, it's a wonderful thing. But, you know, here's a great story. So at one point, my wife Jennifer is from uh, the Midwest, grew up in um, mainly Minnesota. I was born in South Dakota or Iowa, lived in South Dakota, that, that whole thing. But for whatever reason, her dad was... Um, uh, selling farm machinery and was stationed in Pennsylvania for just a, a little bit of time. She lived there. And so it was about a year. So that's where I met her. But, um, uh, what was my story about that? What were we talking about? You said it was a great story. Ah, so. It was a great story too. I, this is what happens when, when you play a show in the middle of the day. Um, and was it about Hershey? Was it about, gosh, uh, I can't remember. You're moving West. You're dating Jenny. Man. Who's from Hershey? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, but you're going west. But I'm going west. Gosh, I can't remember. <laughs> Son of a gun. So did y'all just pick up and say we're gonna just move to to L.A. and see what happens? <laughs> yeah. You know, we sort of. Um, we this is pre-internet, so I'll explain to you what picking up and moving because I'm, of course, you know, I mean, my degree is in urban planning, so I'm a planner. Uh, we wanted to move west. Uh, I wanted to move to like Seattle or Portland, and she really wanted to move to Los Angeles. And well, give me a time period. What year? Oh, this would have been ninety-five. Oh, so you were following the Nirvana thing? Yeah, it seemed like it was super exciting yeah. up there, and I knew it was cheaper to live there. I'd been to Seattle. Sub pop. Yeah, yeah. sub pop. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. What a time to be there, man. And I know, I know. And it was, you know, I'd visited. It was great. Um, but, you know, on the other end, too, you know, here I am, this kid has grown up reading you know, these skateboarding magazines, basically. So I was like, oh, California is awesome as well. So we decided, okay, you know what, we're going we're gonna to go to Los Angeles and see what happens. And, uh, you know, pre-internet, uh, our thought was, man, how do we know? Because well, we didn't know anybody there. And being younger and maybe, you know, now I would... Can't even imagine not knowing someone moving, but at the time I was like, okay, yeah, yeah we'll do this. Uh, and you could get videotapes from real estate companies that would show um, the apartments, like what apartments were available. And there was I, at the time, oh, I forgot about this. I knew about all this because I worked at a real estate newspaper as a graphic designer. And again, this was totally pre-internet. And we would be the ones who would lay out the houses, put in the text, you know, how much is this house, three bedroom, two bath, et cetera, et cetera. And I knew that they had these all over the country. So I forget how I did this, but I ended up getting them from Los Angeles and then tracking down these real, these videotapes of apartment complexes that I don't know who put them out, if they're realtors, if they were the people that owned the complexes. But we had them and we took, we would sit in the afternoon and take notes of like, okay, this place looks good. I think we can afford this. And so we made this extensive list because we're, you know, we're planning this out and we saved money and we drove out there. We drove, we had a 1991 Pontiac Grand Am, put everything we owned in it. <laughs> we drive out, have no. That was the uh, trunk space in that. Uh, better than you would think. But okay. Yeah, I have to say, I, I, it was a good car. Until until we hit the the uh, 
the 10 freeway. And we, you know, we drive across the entire country, not a problem. We hit the 10 freeway, which is a white knuckle drive all the time. And, you know, I'm just this kid from Pennsylvania and, you know, I'm like, here's the big world and we're on the 10 and my car basically just burst into flames. Yeah. So we, we get with all your stuff in it. Yeah. It's like starting to make these weird noises and the, the, uh, dashboard starting to go nuts and smoke starting to come out and then there's like little flames coming from under the hood and I'm on the 10 and it's like the Autobahn in some ways so thank god we were just by Van Nuys and I was like well I guess we're going to stay in Van Nuys for a day or two so we get off the freeway we make it to a parking lot of a hotel that just happens to have a pontiac mechanic place next to it repair shop that they could work on pontiacs in van nuys and it was just like the worst way you could possibly roll into los angeles Car not on knowing, fire yeah not knowing anybody turned out that it needed 700 dollars worth of repairs and we had like we had money saved but it was not that much you know not, yeah so we had we had, you know, we could pay the, the repair because you had to, you know, had to pay this repair. And then we were down to like, you know, just enough to put down a deposit on a apartment. So we spent, we were like in Van Nuys for like two days. The people were super nice, fixed our car quickly. But they're like, it had to be gone any longer. You would have, that would have been the end of your car. It just, we're able to salvage it. So I'm out there and we have this extensive list that we took hours making about all these apartments. So we drive into Hollywood and uh, go to this, this one apartment. We had made reservations basically saying, hey, we're going to take this and all. We get there and the person's like, I, I don't know who you talk to, but we don't have any apartments. <laughs> welcome to LA. Yeah, welcome, yeah. To, <laughs> welcome to the job. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly that. And we're like, okay. Cause, oh, I mean, man. I'm not going back. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, we gonna do? quit okay. our jobs, everything. Yeah. It's like, this has to work. So we ended up <clears throat> finding a place and, um, and jobs. And then it just got wackier after that. It, uh, My gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Then I ended up seven years later being an executive at creative artist agency. But how'd you get into that? Just that that's what was going on. Yeah. I was like, I was because like, you, you went to LA to do something. I mean, it wasn't just like, relive your skateboard dreams no you know i honestly had no i I just wanted to go west so badly yeah and i just i was never really pennsylvania and i in the east just really never hit it off never hit it off (laughs) never landed yeah i never you know it was great to date but we went our separate ways um so my thing was like well it's a gigantic city certainly i'll find a job see when you grow up like your younger years in like around uh, the middle of Pennsylvania, most of your friends that want to get out go to Philadelphia or New York City. Yeah. I've got bunches of friends that have done that. I was just the weirdo that went to Los Angeles. But I was thinking the whole time, like, well, my friends, you know, they moved to Philadelphia, New York. They all have great careers now. They've done very well. Some went to Chicago. So I figured Los Angeles, I can make something of myself. And And how long were you there? uh, We were there for, uh, let me think about that. Eight years tops. Oh, okay. Yeah, eight years, and I've worked at Creative Artist for, I think, seven. And what was it that you did there? Was it like casting or? No, it was, again, totally random. Uh, The internet just started. 
when I got there and they were looking for someone. I went to a temp, a temp agency and I got a quick job because I knew gra- basic graphic design skills. And I, before that I'd written for um, a paper, an entertainment paper, like your, what they used to call alt weeklies. Got it. I yeah. did a lot of that. And uh, parade I, magazine yeah, or whatever. <laughs> parade. <laughs> Maybe, you know, going towards that direction. Yeah. Uh, so I was, uh, uh, I had those skills and I, that was the other thing too. I figured, you know, I, I know Photoshop. I know at the time, this is crazy. Adobe page maker. Yeah. PowerPoint. You yeah. know, I, I knew that kind of, those kind of skill or those kind of programs. So I thought surely I'll find something. Um, I temp for a brief time in an ad agency and then the, my temp person called and was like hey i got an interview for you at creative artist agency the thing was i didn't even know who they were like i you know i played in punk rock bands you know like i this is totally new for me so i was like yeah this sounds great she's like it's a great company you need to go i was like all right so i went and they were literally looking for someone to make color copies and i was like i can do it because <laughs> we're teetering on complete financial collapse uh, and I need to have a good job. Like, what does it pay? I'm in. Yeah. I'm <laughs> 12 bucks an hour, sign me up. Yeah. Uh, so I, I received the job and it was just one of those weird things that they were a very small company at the time. At the most, I think we had 400 people. The internet just happened and I had an encyclopedic knowledge of television from watching TV with my mom. And I knew, of course, everything at that time about music. I was thoroughly immersed in that. Hmm. And I, I started getting involved. At, at, I would, they first wanted me to do the PowerPoints. I was like, yeah, sure. And then I started working closely with the agents on developing the PowerPoint. And because I was able to write, and I thankfully have a skill in writing, I started helping them write their presentations. And then I met, they hired this guy who was a, basically like an economic strategist for the agency. And we got along really well. And that's when I started working on projects for all the partners of the agency, like Richard Lovett, um, Rob Light. And what, what, what did the agency do? Um, we represented film, television, music were the three main uh, clients that we had. So everyone from directors. So it was management. Um, you can't technically be a manager and an agent. It's illegal. Uh, so we were the agents that would get people mm. into projects. Okay, what's the difference? Um, a manager is someone who manages the personal life and business life day-to-day of a client. An agent is someone who finds you work. The problem is... Oh, got it. It's a conflict of it, interest. Total conflict sure. of interest. And it was in reaction to the studio system, which just destroyed people like Judy Garland. Yep. Um, so it was, and agents get a bad rap, but I loved it because, you know, you're trying to find these super talented people jobs Yeah, and yeah, of course you make some money, Yeah, but that's why, because you're that's good at getting them a job. job. Yeah. 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 And so, so people would uh, call you up, Hey, I'm looking for a person that has this skill set that looks like this, that it can do this. Who you got? Oh, we got this list of folks. It's kind of like that. Kinda, okay. Uh, uh, it was odd. And I mean, we were j- the leading agency of the world. Like we had clients like Madonna, Tom Cruise, um, man, uh, we put the, we packaged TV shows. That was a huge thing. 
um, so that you would have like a, a writer that had a great script idea for a series. We had um, actor X, actress Y uh, that would be great in this script. And then, you know what? We also represent this director over here. It's looking to get into television. Got it. We'll put this all together. We'll pitch it to the network and see what happens. <laughs> and that was, yeah, that's great. I so, mean, so you... You got to pitch it to the network. Well, here's the situation. So, because <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, like a normal human being. <laughs> I'm gonna start but, using that. I got to pitch it to the network. Pitch it to the network. See what sticks. Uh, I was uh, again, you know, as usual, I'm in these weird situations. I was not an agent. Like I wasn't. That wasn't my track. Those people are groomed earlier on. They go through the program and they're they're ninjas with that. I was again this guy that kind of understood the entertainment industry aesthetically as well as content and and i was learning the business side of it which was great so i would help them put these presentations together to pitch the clients to pitch the producers and what happened is uh it, it just the internet kind of changed <laughs> kind of changed things go figure yeah it did. um that's what i've heard I, yeah yeah yes, someone exactly. told me that so day. I was working with that, and then it all came onto this thing called cultural intelligence. And the partners were brilliant, and they realized, you know what? We know Harry Potter is going to be huge. And that's the other thing you have to understand about Hollywood. So much of it is planned out years ahead of time. People know what's going to happen that will be a huge hit or trend, generally two years, three years before everyone else. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes there's a complete huge failure, but like cats, like cats. But you know, I have to say about cats. I saw it on Broadway. I don't, it's bizarre. It's it was a weird a bizarre thing. play. It was, the, what were you expecting? Heart, it is a weird, yeah. weird thing. It's like you expecting this main, sh- no, it's crazy. And so what they did is they, they just put the weird thing on steroids yeah. and made it completely yeah. like a mushroom trip. Basically. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I I, I find it. I mean, I enjoyed it on Broadway, but you know, so, you're watching a, a musical about cats that sing and have personalities. Like, no, but that <laughs> that makes sense. So, uh, for example, back back to what we were talking about, like to get those people lined up, you gotta say, like, okay, is Taylor Swift gonna be available at this pocket of time? Right. right. Is she gonna have a tour going mm-hmm. on? Is she gonna be have to be supporting a record? So you gotta put that. So when people start talking about it, like, okay, Cats is gonna come out the the winner of 2019 2020 mm-hmm. or christmas 2019 is when cats comes out right and then roll it back to okay we're in production a year before that right we're lining people up a year before that mm-hmm. because in 2019 christmas so that's fa- i never thought about that oh it's, before. it's after working in hollywood at that level i'm amazed that any movie gets made because there are a hundred different things that can go wrong uh, I mean, everything from financing to the director gets in a car accident to someone has a personality conflict with the main actor or actress and they decide they don't want to do it anymore. I mean, it's a litany financing alone. Film financing is absolutely fascinating. I got to work with several people uh, that were at CAA that were working on that side of things kind of here and there um and marketing and releases yeah all of that is it's like the logistics of getting a film made and it's fascinating wow well the cool thing about that is uh, very rarely do you get to see where art and commerce intersect right that's a really hard thing to nail like where does that happen yeah especially i mean because we make music and it's always like 
I was just talking with, with Jenny, like, yeah, we're working on this record. We're not really sure how records come out anymore, <laughs> you know? Like, exactly. Where yeah. does that, where, like, where do we trade someone money for what we've been working on? How does that work? You know, yeah. Yeah. mystery. But you were at the intersection of this, like, system right that yeah. had been in place for a while mm -hmm. too but you were you said that the internet changed everything how 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 did that change for where you were from your perspective uh you know one thing was just thinking of how for me how should i say this i always look at the internet as the greatest sea change in how marketing and aesthetics work in entertainment because for years you know, like, well, a good example is that Action Now magazine. That was so weird because it was the Southern California culture that we it was readily available in central Pennsylvania. That generally didn't happen. I mean, it was, this is back in the time when your friend made you a mixtape and had Black Flag on it. It was like, oh my God, how do I get this album? And it, you had to home. track you it. You got to go to the, the shop or you got to get the magazine and cut the thing out and yeah. order your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, mass, like the whole indie rock underground scene i mean it was huge but it was really hard to figure out and i would say that's true about a lot of the different arts you know film is the same way without a doubt mm -hmm. what i saw when i was working there with the internet i realized it was like oh my god like all the really uh well-designed aesthetically solid things that i have loved and my friends have loved are now finally going to get recognized and it's going to change the look of film, it's going to change television. And because just basically people are being, they're getting a broader palette. You know, um, kind of like uh, with Kuzu, that's why I love Kuzu, uh, the low power uh, FM radio, 92.9 down in Texas, uh, is that you hear things that you just normally wouldn't hear. And, you know, that was being lost with consolidation of Clear Channel, things like that. But then when I saw the internet, I was like, oh, yeah. People that are like dressing in a certain way that's super cool, that's going to be everywhere. The, the cultural intelligence now is going to be more important than ever. And my bosses, Richard Lovett, people like that who are brilliant, realized that. And they realized, my God, we're in the nexus of this. We know if, uh, like Donnie Darko, we know this film is going to be awesome. Did you work on that film? No, no, oh, no. I, I, I don't know if, uh i don't know Great i'm sure soundtrack. we had some clients in it but yeah i mean it was just it was phenomenal oh man but you know it's one of those things that's like i saw them like you know this is going to be bigger than it would have been had it came out in 1982 because it would be this weird indie film no one would ever see except for my friends on video cassette and now you know donnie dark was a pretty big film um but in the more mainstream thought uh you have you know the agency we represented uh we uh, the Harry Potter um, uh, title, so the, or property, and you know my my bosses were like, "Wow, you know what? We know this is going to be huge." I mean, I don't think anybody could have predicted how huge, but we knew it was going to be big. And we also dealt with Coca Cola, so we're like, "Hey, Coca Cola, why don't you think of ways to leverage Harry Potter and for marketing and?" Harry Potter would love to work, you know, the studio and all the different people involved would love to work with Coca-Cola. And it, that was the beginning of like, what I think is some of the coolest stuff. And I feel like the internet in a way, like it was that mindset of like, Hey, let's really start thinking broader 
with everything and connections. And that was a big turning point. Um, we worked with companies like Intel, M&M Mars, uh, Coca-Cola, uh, GM. I know there's others, but that, that I found that absolutely fascinating. And that's kind of what really set me on a new pathway with my entire career. So what, um, in what way did they work with Coca-Cola? Where I mean, that's not like a product placement thing. No, but it's like similar concept in that it, it, but again, it was brilliant. It took it one step further. It's not like, oh, we're going to have a Coca-Cola within that scene. Now we're going to have a reading literature bus go around the country that is branded with Coca-Cola and Harry Potter. Got it. They're like sponsoring the Harry Potter thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we had, it was more immersive. That was the beginning of immersive kind of things, uh, which was super forward thinking. Oh, wow. But we were, you know, yeah. we were just taking items that were exist in the market world of marketing and kind of tying it together and making it like, look, why, why just put a <clears throat> can of Coke in a scene when you can take a bus around the schools? Yeah. So it was, it was fascinating. I, I really enjoyed it, but it was weird. I was never an agent. Uh, I was an executive uh, of internal marketing was the, the mm. title. And uh, it was great. It was a wonderful education. And I still, to this day, think of people I worked with. And, That's amazing. Yeah. Some great people like Brian Laux, who uh, was the one that really got David Lynch, uh, sort of pumped him up and just brilliant people I worked with. That's so cool. Yeah. It's cool. That's awesome. And uh, like after that, like when you left there, what did you leave there to go somewhere or? No, you know, I, as you know, I, I, I'm a big Castanets fan and it was also great to play, <laughs> yeah. play in yeah. the Castanets because of you actually. Yeah. 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 That, you yeah. hooked me up with that show. And man, I, I still talk to Ray here and Ray, there. that's right. Yeah. How's Ray doing? He's doing all right. He's, he's still in Portland doing music and I think maybe bartending, but you know, he surfs a lot too. So he might. I shouldn't say he's still in Portland. I think he is, as far as I know. Guy's living the life. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, he, he was, he's like pro-grade surfer level. Really? Yeah, I always oh, forget wow. that. Um, but, uh, uh, so, yeah, those cast, the one cast in that song, you know, there's no path in our flight. Or there's no path in my flight. And that's kind of the way I was. I, 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 the last project I worked at at CAA was um, American Idol, bringing American Idol to the United States. You son of a... Just kidding. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry. Man, what a horrible show. Uh, I did yeah. not know we had you to thank for that. <laughs> I, I, I thankfully can only take less than uh, 1% credit at best. Uh, I really just... That's again, the part of you I hate. <laughs> That's right. That's I a, was helping, uh, you know, again, oddly enough, working on the PowerPoint, yeah. strategizing, things like that. But the agents, you know, they had it. That was their thing. They were doing their thing. Um but bringing it, I want to say it was an Australian property, but there were German producers. I thought it was Japanese. I can't remember. Maybe not. Yeah. It Who was, knows. but it got to the point where like my job basically was 24 seven. I was always on call. Uh, and it was, it was high stress, but it was, you know, we were the leaders of the entertainment industry at that time. Um, but that project in particular was incredibly dynamic because you had so many different time zones. So like the, the agents would ha be having a meeting and they would need something to send a, I want to say it was Australia or Berlin and it, but it would need to be there like now. Yeah. So I would get a call at like two in the morning on Saturday, like, Hey, you need to come to the office. 
And I'd been there for, at that point, six, seven years, something like that. And, you know, I also, I was seeing things. Like, I saw the internet come up, and I helped, you know, I worked on a lot of different things there. And I knew that, you know, again, I've come from this punk rock background. I knew that there was going to be a sea change. Like, I could see it. It's like, okay, something's going to happen. I couldn't figure out, like, I didn't see the MP3 thing and, and what came after that. But it was clear that there was going to be more power shifted to the the indie world of which I enjoyed. Um, and I kind of want to just study and think about it. And at the same time, Jen and I, had, you know, I had stopped playing music for all that time. I didn't play, I didn't even have a guitar in my apartment. Um, and then near the end, Jen, who plays music and is from a musical family, was like, oh, can you teach me how to play guitar? And I was like, all right. And it did. And then she's like, oh, we should play a coffee house or something. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> You're like, this is LA. You're not ready for the <laughs> You're not ready for the big for time. For the big time. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, yeah, all right. You know, I, for, I had forgotten what it was like to play guitar. And then uh, it was kind of signed to me, like, all right, maybe you need Something, to yeah, yeah, did yeah. take a change. You did, And the thing was, I did everything I wanted to do. Like, I did everything I didn't even know I wanted to do yeah, working yeah. at Creative Artists. It yeah. was such an amazing experience. You did the LA thing. Yeah. Mean, you moved out there, your car caught on fire, yeah. <laughs> and you, you made something of yourself. That's pretty, uh, yeah. So yeah. you checked the pretty big box. It was a huge box. Because yeah. of Action Magazine. Yeah, because of Action Now Magazine. And, Action you know, Now. Yeah. Ideally, I always wanted to go further with my education, and I just I didn't have time working yeah. at Creative Artists. I mean, but I also recognized it was an education in a, of itself, so at that point we we start so we started playing shiny around the edges in two thousand one I think we started oh wow and by two thousand three I think we left the December two thousand three oh wow yeah so our first show was October two thousand one and it was so much fun I'd yeah. forgotten how much I love playing music and that's awesome yeah where was, was it at the uh, end it was the coconut teaser on oh, the yeah. Sunset Strip coconut <laughs> teaser yeah. I lie not that's, I. I think I've been there, actually. Is it still there? Um, That I don't know. It was back in 2013. It was still there, but it was closed. Oh, no. So so when when I was on Sunset, that must have been, that was probably 2001. Yeah. That's crazy because the Weezer Green album had just come out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And there was the big billboard right there. Yeah. If there's any indication that who played the next night was Alien Ant Farm. Yeah. So sounds about right. I think many more people want to see Alien Ant Farm than Shiny Around the Edges. A couple, maybe a couple, maybe <laughs> yeah, a, couple a couple more. <laughs> they had the big Michael Jackson cover. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was yeah. a whole scene. Smooth that, Criminal. Yeah, the yeah, Inland the Empire, Alien Ant Farm, and I can't remember the other big band that came from there. How close was it to the Viper Room? Because the Viper Room uh, was still there. I think you could walk. It's been a couple of years. Yeah, yeah but I so think in that area. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was definitely in that area. Man. Um, yeah, so then, uh, so that happened, and we were... At the t- we started like maybe ninety nine driving to Denton once a year to visit because Jen's two sisters and brother lived in Denton. Oh, I forget yeah. about that. I always forget that aspect that you've got family here. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, this is a weird, odd Denton factoid. Jen's older sister by nine months was the one who convinced Josh Pearson to move to Denton. Hmm. Yeah. So that was kind of, so we knew people and we, but we'd come every year and, yeah. and see everyone and just have a blast. Oh man. But yeah. we thought, you know what? We want to, I want to pursue education. Uh, I think at the time Jen was starting to think of it because she hadn't finished her bachelor's at that point. 
Um, and we just wanted to get on with our lives. And we did this great thing. We had a blast. It was super educational, but we wanted to move on. So we kept, we looked around. We were like, we went to Seattle, Salt Lake. Uh, we had been to Philly, Chicago, like everywhere and thinking, okay, where's our next move? Um, and we just kept coming back that we really had so much fun in Denton. And we're like, well, let's, they have a university there and families there. It's a great music scene. Cause we wanted also, we're like, this is crazy that we're playing in this band. Like, cause we're so much older than when we started and people were like, you should keep playing. So we're like, all right. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So again, no path in our flight. And, uh, we decided, okay, we'll move to Denton. And, and that was it. That's, that totally changed everything. So you got here in, what'd you say, October of 03? No, it was technically December 2013. Or 2003, sorry. Okay. Yeah, and it was, so 2004 was like January 1st. So I got here in August of 2003. Oh, so, okay. So Haley, yeah, so Haley's had been open two months yeah. by the time you got here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it was probably 04, 05 when the Castanets were played yeah, yeah. and uh I th- yeah you had reached out like hey i'm buddies with this guy right and is that kind of no, how it worked out I, or, I or did i introduce you huge y'all? fan of that oh album. no you told me yeah yeah but i'd never met him and yeah, someone dropped right. off i think at the last minute and we needed someone to fill yeah, in it was and, like oh yeah shiny yeah put shiny on there and then yeah and then he was like man you guys are great and i was like oh i'm a big fan of your record and we kept in touch and we ended up playing with him that's right. So recording with him, and I was I was his tour manager for <laughs> <That's right. laughs> South by Southwest. <laughs> and so so we knew his uh, we knew his uh, promotion company was uh, oh fanatic fanatic yeah. And so uh, Jessica from Fanatic, we I was at CMJ one year hmm. and didn't have a pass or anything, but she was like, well, one oh that that's actually how I met Ray. Oh, she was like you can have one of our artists passes until he's not getting here for another couple of days. You just have to meet up with him and give him his pass later. And so I was Ray at CMJ in like 2004 for like three days. People were like, Oh, from the cast. And I'm like, no, that's that's not me. Just got his badge. Yeah. Oh man. Ray, that just, (laughs) that's so funny. He's the only one. I forgot about that story. Do you remember when he, was going to tour the east coast on a boat because <laughs> of my friend one that, of my, that's the worst idea like a yeah. like a sailboat probably yeah, yeah. and like anybody else he but did, ray yeah, it he, would be an okay idea he told me i do remember that oh. he was like hey just go to the ports and like this is gonna end badly i'm like dude tur- touring is like bad enough in a van, in a van. that works <laughs> because like something's gonna go wrong in the van the ac is gonna die in nevada yeah. and if yeah. something dies on the boat, like you might die. Yeah, well, they they wrecked. They wrecked. <laughs> they wrecked. Yeah, they of sank they did. the boat. Of course they did. Yeah, and they like Ray was like, it was stressful. I'm like, yeah, I bet you it was. <laughs> <laughs> they only made like two dates out of the entire oh tour. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Did, I, he, uh, did he have any boating experience? I mean, this is nuts. Well, the one thing about well, I don't know if they. I mean, he can swim. Ray did because you know he's a surfer and he could swim, but. I don't foresee them as major boating people. <laughs> yeah. This is the yeah. I ended up becoming uh, good. Did friends you tour with, manage that tour? Please say no. No, no. we I had a, said sorry, Ray. South by Southwest because uh, I, I I ended up becoming good friends with Michael Kaufman, who ran Asthmatic Kitty, and I think managed Sue 
uh, Sufjan for a while. Yeah, Sufjan, yeah. His uh, first couple of records were asthmatic. So asthmatic and uh, a f- a fanatic were like yes. very, very, yeah. very clo- closely yeah. related at that time. Yeah, Michael went on to do really cool stuff. He's he's not who he manages Sun Lux. Brian, yeah, Brian. Yeah, and uh, no c- a couple other people. Yeah, and that's oh, that's wow. Mike. That's the connection there. And oh, cool. He's living in Indy and has oh, this man. really cool job with health and creativity. It's amazing. But um, well, he was out in Denver a little bit ago, and we were just laughing about the the cacophonous life of uh, Ray on tour. But uh, yeah, South by we had nine shows, and I think we made seven of them. Two like. Ray forgot to tell me, or we got confused. No, it was just—it was always chaos. But you know, the, the shows were always amazing. Right? No, that's—I mean, that's exactly what South by is. It's like controlled, not even controlled chaos. Yeah, it's yeah. just like—I mean, make plans and forget about them. Mm-hmm. Just try to be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be making music. Everything else, don't care. Like yeah. you're just hang on. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it was yeah. We got, I mean, there's no hard feelings that we missed two shows. I mean, I don't even know if people knew. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah but, it was yeah. a good time. No, a built-in crowd. That's the that's part of it. Is yeah, like yeah. you're going to be playing to people, and you know. So, yeah. so you you get to Denton, and you're like, this is cool. Yeah, I like this town. Let's play music. Let's play some rubber glove shows. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. But you were going to school. You know, the first year I didn't. Um, I was, I, I had to take like the graduate, the GRE and all of those things. I kind of really wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Like I had a pretty good idea kind of, but, uh, what was your idea of your pretty good idea at that time? What, what, uh, what did you think you wanted to do? I wanted to look at scenes, like how they operate regionally. And I was very interested in geography Yeah, and also cities. Um, and this was, you know. 2004 but i didn't really know like i i, I had that I, I knew i wanted to do something with the urban landscape like originally i thought it was be more maybe urban design but i also was fascinated by music scenes and again what i saw with the internet and in, in hollywood that these scenes are going to be they will become more powerful and more production will be coming out of these scenes and if people monetize it, it you know it could really benefit the artists and you could see things ripe for transfer and that's when i got to denton i was amazed at how like i knew about how much fun it was and how robust the scene was but i didn't really realize like how big the music scene was in denton till i lived here and that's which is unusual for a city of its size still but i was amazed too that the city just it didn't seem to be on their radar (laughs) and that funny that's the best part of it though yeah is like even even now that it is on the radar, it's still not because like what they think is on the radar is like not the actual scene, right? 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 right. Like, exactly. And I they, see that a lot in other cities. Oh man, yeah. it's just so funny. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So um, I entered into I was accepted into the graduate program in uh, geography at UNT, and. <clears throat> It was it was like wow, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, how does I've always it took me a while to kind of wrap me my head around this. Like, what does geography have to do with like? I mean, people think of geography and they think like maps, right, right. But it's not that. It's like the data you get from space or the you know spatial data. Yeah, I guess. Yes, it's a way of looking at interactions, whether it be human 
financial in a regional setting. But the internet made, and this is uh, the the volume that you edited. I was kind of rereading some sections to prepare for this. The internet did away from, did away with the, the spatial priority, right? Like you couldn't, you didn't have to be in a scene. The scene was now the internet, right? Or not now, but it It, it changed what, like, I didn't have to go to New York to be in a band now. You know, I could, I could stay here. I could stay here in Ditton. Right. Like you could be in a Ditton band and I guess. Yeah. Place still matters with the internet, but with the internet, place can have much more power. Uh, So, for example, I did my master's thesis on Omaha, and what we, you know, what I found there was basically you didn't have to go to New York City because, again, the internet is kind of this great leveler. You get information coming in. You don't feel as as uh, outside of the loop when you're living in Omaha now because you know you can email, you can you fly out, you can you see trends, you know, on blogs and whatnot. It's uh, you can be a band in Omaha and be on a trendy blog, and people love you in New York. That was a lot harder pre-internet, right? Um, so in a way, place still matters, and that's kind of what I also was seeing with this with the internet. That's a great point to pull, bring up. Place still matters, but that place can become more powerful with the internet. So places like Omaha realize, you know what? People are staying. Some people are moving to Omaha because we have this great music scene. You know, how can we help this develop? Uh, and that's and now you see it's pretty normal that cities all over the country, these second, third tier cities, like Denton's a great example, have totally redeveloped. And in some great cases, music's part of it. In others, you know, they're still kind of grappling with that, figuring that out. But it, it's definitely what I saw back in 96 or so, like the potential with the internet has definitely come true. It's just in so many different ways. Yeah. yeah. So how does Ditton handle that, or how is it handling that? Um. Good. Then's an odd situation because it has such an enormous music scene that no matter what the city does for good or for worse, the music scene's still going to survive. Going to be cranking along regardless. Yeah, yeah. It's still going to thrive. Um, so in some ways, uh, and I can't speak to the actual politics behind the scenes, but you know, you have rubber gloves comes back online. You have Dan's, um, Andy's is Andy's is back. Uh, JJ's is still, but, yeah. So you have venues, which are great. So that means that says to me that the city is not horribly strict with regulations or, or, or creating regulations that hinder music. Some cities do that. Well, there, um, yeah. And that, there was an interesting time in like 2016, mm-hmm. maybe 2015, 2016, where a couple of venues close and it's like, we need to start calling meetings because of the end of the music scene. Right. But if you really looked at why things were closing, it wasn't, I mean, there wasn't anything for the city to do to keep them, you know, it was mm-hmm. really the end of the life of this venue for a lot right. of reasons, you know? Right. I mean, and so that I, I was kind of always tapping the brakes on the need to mm-hmm. like pull the rip cord on, you know, asking for, 
a full government takeover of our hearts, right? <laughs> right. Which right. I, I still think is a bad idea. <laughs> yes. But, yes. Yeah, yeah. There's so many different variables that right. play Some, into sometimes people just need to move on and do something else, and it's that it doesn't mean there are less. There's less music being played, or right, it's right. time to pack our bags and move to Omaha. You yeah, know, just yeah. slow down, people. So there are there are some venues. I mean, that are super important to a scene, uh, but by and large, venues, you know, they don't for the most part don't have these super long lifespans. Or if they do, may not always be in the same physical space. You know, people it's rare that like the CBGBs is always held up, which it was a great incubator, but it, it was amazing that venue lasted that long. And that, that's a great run, you know, but if you look at like the 40 watt club in Athens, if memory serves correct, that's been in other places. Like that's a, a has not always been in the same physical space. Oh. Um, as far as I can remember with oh. that. Um, but now there's unfortunately in <clears throat> Seattle, there's venues getting shut down because of real estate, uh, valuations are rising and, you know, taxes are going up with that. Right, right, right. There's, but there's different ways that cities can approach things. Yeah, and, and we, we run into that a little bit. Mm. Uh, like, we had a tax valuation come out this past year. You had a couple of properties um, triple oh their, their tax valuation wow. out of nowhere. Yeah. Which, that's a tough pill to swallow if you're, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, you gotta get, you know, you got to pay money to fight those taxes and go through that whole process. And it may not even yeah. go down and, you know, and so. it's tough for music venues because you're just not making a lot of money. I mean, no. owning a music venue is a labor of love. And yeah. yes, you may be, you may, you, if you're doing things as well as you can, you, you'll be profitable, but it's not like your own up. It's not like you have a commercial building that is, used for uh say like a bank and law offices right or just a normal bar yeah or just normal bar because a normal bar can sell a beer to anyone off the street if you're a music venue you're selling only to the people who Mm -hmm. like what's playing at that time or generally like you know you're selling to the scene which is like i mean you're really dwindling down your customer base just by way of having music, mm-hmm. any music, right? Right, right. It's tough. And the people yeah. who can pull off being a bar and a venue, Dan is it. Dan's the only person yeah. in Denton that I've seen do it with success. Um, I mean, it is a tough, tough thing to do. That's what we found at Haley's. It was like mm. they could be profitable if they were a bar, but they needed people, they needed the music to bring people in there. You know, oh, right, right. But then people left the second the music was done. So, right. So the music was there to, because the, you know, the, the owner doesn't make money on the, the ticket price. Mm-hmm. And most, you know, the level of music we're talking about, people expect to get paid for it, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a cover. That cover generally pays the sound guy, the door guy, uh, and, and the rest goes to the band. You right, know? So, right. So all the money to be made really is the beer. And so it's a weird little ecosystem yeah. uh, that, that makes it, it makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, for sure. But it's such an important part of a city's social fabric. And as you know, as I've argued now for years and, and many of other people have as well, that um, it's a tool in some ways for economic development or 
a, a way to add to your social fabric of the city, your economic fabric of the city, attract people. But even more so now we're seeing things that, you know, music's great for healthcare, you know, for helping Alzheimer's patients, for helping people with PTSD. Um, it's great in terms of education, you know, to help uh, students work different parts of their brain, things like that. And it's great for voice, you know, giving voice to community. Uh, that's what I love about Den, and I always forget um, until I'm in different places and I come back. And Denton's a diverse community. I mean, you, you look at Denton, and yeah, there's, sure, there's the indie rock, and then there's the really experimental stuff, but there's hip-hop, there is jazz, there's folk, there is bluegrass, there's everything. And these communities are all vested in this. And that's, you know, again, going back to Kuzu, which is great because it gives a voice to anybody in the community. Yeah. And music is great for that, for bringing a community together within a city. So it's like, you know, when I talk to cities, I'm like, look, you know, is there a way you can help venue owners a little bit? Because it's not that you're helping one business over the other. You're helping a business that is fostering the next people in your city that will be doctors, lawyers, graphic designers, coders, coders. I mean, look, that that's a yeah. big part of Denton is like, yeah. <laughs> well, the people live here in commute to Silicon Valley. Yeah. That still yeah. blows my mind. Yeah. And they love music. They love being in a city where there is yeah. music. So, you know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, you'll see this in uh, England and I believe Toronto has this as well, where um, if you are a music venue, and you know you you have certain certain tiers of it, but you can get some uh, tax break, uh, which is great because you know again these venues are really hard businesses, but yet they provide more than just just entertainment for that one night. They're building your social infrastructure and your professional infrastructure within the city. I mean, music scenes are fantastic job right. development uh, or organizations for lack of a right yeah, yeah let's talk about that for a little bit because it's not just the oh and this was talked about in the book a little bit too like in the internet age the artist also has to be the mm. merchandising person right right the guy that comes up with how are we going to do the t-shirts where do we get the t-shirts from who's going to print the t-shirt you know like right. there's an economy of it's of scale like when you break it down into like what does one artist need to do to 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 make his thing happen? Mm-hmm. Well, he's employing all these other people in the community. I need a website. Right. I need yeah. someone to design a logo. I need, you know, absolutely. So, and most of the money he's going to make, or that person's going to make at the venue that night, is going to go back into the hands of <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. I, I need to pay for these T-shirts. I need to yeah. get this uh, record made. So we get a, you know, we got to buy beer for the, the engineer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's a little economic ecosystem. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, Denton's a great example of that, but many scenes work this way to yeah. some degree that, you know, you have film students that are making videos for their reel. So they'll cut a banded deal like a hundred bucks and make this phenomenal video for a band that they get, to, you know, the band gets to use, and then the film student gets to use for his yeah, or her reel, the demo reel, yeah, yeah. And uh, then you know, the graphic designer, someone like Claire Morales, is a great example of someone who is a musician herself, does her own design, but is a phenomenal designer and does it for other bands and other companies. It's like you start to have these portfolio careers, yeah. And especially now in this age, 
you know, if you want to have a great entrepreneurship program or management program, you know, foster bands because being a band is like being in a startup and you learn how to manage projects and you learn how to drive projects, both things that entrepreneurs need and sell and sell. Yeah. Yep. Which is big. Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah. And I know. So man, I had a good question. I can't remember it now. So what other tools does the city have besides just like, uh, you know, giving people some of their property tax back? Yeah. Cause uh, I'm, I like that. I mean, yeah. that's a, that's a great tool, but like surely you've seen other examples of what a city could do. Yeah. Uh, you know, first thing is just to listen, uh, and let musicians and people in the industry, venue owners, music educators and such, uh, sort of, uh, explain what would help them to be more successful. Right. Uh, like you would any other industry. Like if you have a tech industry, cluster within your city you are surely you or someone on your staff is listening to what they would like what they need um and then kind of taking steps with that for music it's no different really um i would i've seen cities uh to varying levels of degree levels of success have uh uh, like city um how would you say advisory boards uh councils uh austin has that uh toronto seattle uh, there's some cities that it really works. It, it's something that, you know, they bring uh, maybe quarterly, any things that are working well, any things that are challenges to their city council. And then that gets run up to the mayor and, and, you know, and the city manager and such. And they see if there's anything that can be done with these issues. Is it under the umbrella of the city or this actually almost sounds like a chamber of commerce. Uh, it, it's, it's different things. I mean, okay. in uh, Austin, I believe it's the office of economic development. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. I, it's been a yeah. while. I know they changed. They had it in and then they had it out and I think they had it back in. Um, in Seattle, I think that situation has recently changed, but that I believe was a council thing. Gotcha. Um, so that's something, but um, you know, uh, I, I, just the taking the step of recognizing popular music as a viable cultural and economic driver within your city is important because again, you know, most of the time when you're talking about the arts in a city and funding and policy, you're looking at the public arts project, you know, making what do they call that? Uh, a little, um, wind dust or uh dirt devils on the square yeah kind of thing you know like a certain sculpture yeah let's buy a sculpture yeah commission a thing yeah Yeah, so you think which you know it's great to have yeah i've seen some awesome public art but if you think about it it's like okay so oftentimes these budgets are pretty substantial and you do need to have public art but my gosh if you took ten thousand dollars of what could be easily a several hundred thousand dollar budget and put it towards your popular music segment. Yeah. What may come out of that? Yeah. Um, in Denver, they had the, I worked on the Denver music strategy and the Denver music advancement fund. And there they, they uh, earmark money for projects that develop community and have some stake in Denver. So um, if you wanted to record an album, you probably won't be funded. But if you, uh, want to have a um, 
let's say an album, let's say you have an album that you wrote and it deals with different uh, communities within Denver and you are going to partner with a local high school that has an AV program or say a community college that has this great film program to shoot videos in the neighborhoods that you're talking about, you'd probably get funded. So that, and that has been a super successful program. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And it's again, it's the thing of cities now, and I see this more and more in across the country and certainly internationally that music it's now we're taking popular music into the community and thinking, how can we cross pollinate? Because it's already happening. But I think in Denton you have DMAP, correct? The Denton music. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I forget what they artists something, but they do the uh, insurance. Yeah, they raise insurance. money for health insurance. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Um, you know, occasionally you'll see cities that figure out a way to take their city insurance program and allow yeah. musicians to buy into it. Now, can you is, imagine that? Like, come to Denton if you're a musician, yeah. you get insurance. Yeah, that's it, crazy. It would be great. Yeah, um, be amazing. Austin's new uh, uh, convention center that's coming online on what, five years from now. They're getting a new one. Yeah, it, or they're they're expanding. expanding it. It's the a old, huge oh thing. So they raised um, the heads and beds tax by two percent, and I think it's for at least ten years. But hot funds. Yeah, it's okay. the hot funds. Uh, they raised the two percent to put it towards. I think it was redeveloping their convention center. But of that 2%, there is a small percentage that is being taken out to a fund that if you are in any way promoting music, you can apply for funds. Um, and it's already, I think, up to $3 million. Mm. It's an amazing amount of money for such a small, small percentage. But you know, when you start talking about tax revenues like that, it builds up quite quickly. But what's great is it's for the promotion of music. So if you are going to have a show, you can apply for money to pay your artists to rent a certain sound system. Uh, if you are, uh, if you need to make posters, anything that's a tangible event, mm-hmm. um, you can apply for this funding, and that's a great thing because you. I mean, if you're a city, and this goes back to like when I was working in Hollywood, it's that synergistic thing of how do we support cool things in the art that in the arts that ultimately help develop our region, you know, thinking, yeah, it's great to have a band play, but let's look at what that really means. It's meaning that it represents your city in a way that's way more um, creative and interesting and fun. It's giving a voice hopefully to community members as well. Um, And it's, depending on how you program i mean festivals are great if you think about your festival and how you're programming it how does it impact local businesses eau claire was great the, the eau claire's festival that bon Iver was doing although it ran into some difficulties but one great thing was you know, he was adamant about you locally sourcing the food the volunteers the beer things like that to the point where it would run out but it's you know that gives a boost to your local organic farmer if you want. Yeah. It's all about planning and pointedly disseminating funds for that. Mm. Like you know, we'll give you X amount of dollars, but you need to employ a certain amount of people locally. You need to use a certain amount of companies locally and source locally. 
it's a great way to boost your ecosystem financially. I mean, that's one thing is we don't have any festivals anymore. Mm. I mean, we're, we've been without a, uh, Otopia or, uh, what was the other one? 35, 35 D D we've had no conferet. <sighs> we've had no North by 35. It's like I move away and the town well, goes. And downhill. this is, this is what's interesting. Like, you know, our number one hot fund receiver by the exponential factor is jazz fest, mm. which, you know, we're paying, <clears throat> uh, the, uh, it's a, a union show. It's like the only union ven- venue in Denton. Mm-hmm. So it's all union artists. It's like, you know, the, which is great. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, man, it'd be good if we could spread some of that, money to yeah. other musics oh because there's a big chunk of it available for music it's just we have one event that we focus on which right. is awesome and you know could- yeah but see you know, it's so important to think holistically uh the jazz fest is a wonderful experience it's great it's been going on for a while i don't even know how long 40 think, years yeah. 30 years yeah something like that something like that yeah and it hits a certain demographic that's that is fantastic you know basically families involves local schools um but you know everyone all the all the, the middle school bands yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's great it's great but if you think holistically it's like okay well what about the college age kids that are here what about the people like you and i that were here that were maybe a little bit older than your standard college kid but were attracted to denton because of this great music scene yeah uh, have that too i mean you only attract more people to your city and and enrich the lives of the ones that are already here yeah and i think that that would be how you'd have to do it if 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 a festival ever did come back i think on the priority list number one or two would, would be go for some hot funds yeah absolutely yeah i can't remember what the stipulation was do you have to be a 501c3 to garner hot funds mm. I'll need to go back and look at the list. They always yeah. publish the list and who got what. I seem to remember that was the case why 35 never went after it. There was some oh, stipulation yeah. that, mm. yeah. It, That's right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's just a business organization. I mean, it's yeah. not hard to sit, you know, to be a nonprofit versus any, a C Corp, you know, it's yeah. interesting. But that's one thing about artists is that, you know, typically they have a hard time with the <laughs> it's, it's the business part of things it's you know? a lot yeah i mean it's oh, it, it's tough as someone who sold tickets to festivals it's like it's a hard calc it's a hard spreadsheet to yeah. like put together mm-hmm. to predict if you're gonna you know eat crow on on a on a three-day festival event. right that's, right that stinks man that's fun though yeah but yeah so we did wall of sound several years first one was in denton um but just uh, you know the it's a great place to cut your teeth mm-hmm. on something like that because mm-hmm. you have expenses you have income you've got i mean all the marketing i mean it's the whole thing of everything you need to do you know in the economy today and one little day event you know yeah so, oh, yeah it's really cool and again they're also great uh, job training programs basically i mean think about uh, the people that worked at 35 denton festival when i worked there 
I still, to this day, write reference letters, and they many of them have gone on to have fantastic careers because of what they learned. Yeah, while they were working at the festival. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're putting people in charge that are generally maybe twenty, early twenties, with situations that they have to make a decision within seconds that could affect either thousands of people or thousands of dollars. And I was always amazed at how competent these people were mm-hmm. and are. And uh, many of them have great jobs within the music industry. And so if you think of it that way, you know, there's a lot of them that don't want to move from Denton. So you developing this workforce and that is the name of the game mm-hmm. in economic development is what is your workforce level? What are the skill levels? You know, that's what people that are relocating companies and developing companies are looking for. Yeah. And and so, yeah. Speaking of workforce, and I mean, this is something that's come up in this podcast a lot when we're talking to folks, is what is it about the divide between UNT and the rest of the city? And you were at, you were at UNT. I was. You go almost anywhere, and there is, well, Eau Claire is a great example. Mm. Like the partnership between the school and the community to put the festival on, right, is pretty thick. Yeah, it almost wouldn't happen without it. Yeah, and you see, you see, UNT partnering with the PGA, and partnering with, uh, you know, Frisco and Dallas, and like all these handshakes being made everywhere and every other community. <laughs> you're not seeing it in Denton and there's a long, you know, there's a history, there's the town versus the gown thing. Right. But like, what perspective do you have on that? And can't like, how would you bridge it? Where did it come from? Why is it still around? Why is it still a thing? Yeah. Cause it needs to not happen anymore. Yeah. And I don't know how, how you get over it. Well, universities are tough. Um, you know, I went out of my way for, to connect with the, the town and the gown uh, I often did projects and consult and whatnot uh, at my role as a, in the uh, Center for Economic Development and Research, which is now the Economics Research Group, I think. Yeah. Um, and you're up in, where are you now? You're in well, F- now I'm in Fort Collins. Okay. Uh, but when I was at UNT, I was in this economics research group. And, oh, okay, okay. So I would, and my, my bosses were super cool, but most of the time... <clears throat> Universities are strange in that you have a lot of people that are on the tenure track that, quite frankly, aren't rewarded to go and do projects with the communities around them. And it's, uh, you know, you have a lot of people, academia, you have a lot of transitioning, a lot of moving. So you have professors coming in that maybe don't really care about the community because they know that, well, I'm going to be here for five years, I'll get tenure. Who knows? Maybe I'll move on. Maybe I'll move to a different user, a better university before I get tenure, it, it's rare that you, and, and it's hard. I mean, cause you also talking about you're coming out of graduate school or, and you, you've made all these great connections with friends and such, you know, at least an undergrad in the city and things like that, or where you went grad school. And then you go to a whole new city. I mean, you don't know anybody and it's very, very difficult. And then you have, you're on a professional track that doesn't really reward you uh, they would much rather see you get NEA funding or you know National Institutes of Health funding, like major funding from a national organization. But that's changing, and I do see universities, and that's why I'm at Colorado State University. They are now actively uh, pushing engaged research, 
and making connections with the city. And that's one of the reasons why I got hired at the Leap Institute for the Arts is, you know, Fort Collins, there's a lot of similarities with them. And you have this really uh, healthy music scene. You have a healthy art scene in general. You have super progressive people that are doing really cool things. And then you have this major tier one land grant institution that there are some connections. You know, we have an extension system that uh, really encourages work. I mean, it's why they're there as an extension system is to work within a community. But for whatever reason, uh, the Leap Institute wasn't really connected with community. And I just happened to have a lot of friends that live there and we just all started talking and they thought, wouldn't it be great if we can make these connections? So it's great to see that like being supported in that way. In fact, uh, the way I'm evaluated, a lot of it is um, how much am I engaged with the public? And I cannot tell you how helpful that is and reassuring knowing that in some ways I'll be judged on my tenure right. with how many projects did I help the community with. And I see that. I don't think I'm alone. I think there's a lot of people like going in that direction now. Um, I mean, that would be such a great thing to happen at UNT because you're oh, right. Absolutely. You're exactly right. There's no, there's no benefit to anybody mm-hmm. reaching out. Like right now, the, the, the benefit would be, you know, someone from student services getting involved in, in uh, stuff that's happening downtown as a way for like uh, students to be involved with the community. Like how can we get students involved in the community? And that's, I guess that's part of it. I mean, that's a big part of it. Right. But like, there's so many resources at UNT that, you know, we need to be a part of, or like, it's, it's just, it's such a missed opportunity so far that I hope, yeah. I hope people come around on, or I, I don't do know. Too. And I don't know what it is like, but I mean, you've probably made the most solid evaluation of why maybe we are where we are in the right. arts and culture. But yeah. Well, like I can give you an example of the, the difference in culture at CSU than it was at UNT. At CSU, I have always wanted to teach what I, would, what I kind of, or what I unofficially call an applied festival management course. And the idea is the professor, myself, uh, meets with the local music festival, says, hey, look, I'm going to offer this class. And I'm, we'll have students in it, and I will be teaching you know, the, the theory behind things, the economics, the sociology of it, of a music festival, and looking at both the academic side and then the popular culture side, just to give them a good idea of like, what is a music festival? How does it impact people and, and the bottom line for the city and such? But I also want these students to know what it's like to work at a festival. And these are all students that are want to be in arts management, music industry, can I bring them, I'll bring them in once a week and we talk about a certain topic and then the rest of the week they are interning with you at a, maybe it's hospitality, maybe it's booking, maybe it's um, uh, resource management, the, you know, dealing with the, the city electric company, you know, something in that emergency preparedness and then they come back and tell me what they learned and then we go to the next lesson. That's something I've wanted to do at UNT forever and yeah. just, it didn't even fall on deaf ears. No one, it just wasn't, there wasn't a channel for it to put forward at CSU. I had one meeting and now I'm already 
preparing to have this become a reality in uh, spring of 2021. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it was like there was no hurdles I had to get over. They all got it both in the city uh, aspect uh, and the people that run festivals there as mm-hmm. well as the university. Mm. It was like, in fact, it was, it was welcomed with open arms. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that that's the difference in thought. And it's just, you're talking about gigantic state institutions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I can only serve as like an example. Like I hope UNT does this and I'd be more than happy to talk to him about it. Man. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Cause you can imagine very easily the next festival that we conceive of. And, you know, we've got a great hospitality, hospitality yeah. department. Oh, sure. And like using that as a, a project, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and new music, to do all music, sorts of things. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the music department has, uh, uh, I believe her name's Fabriana, a colleague of mine that, uh, teaches in arts entrepreneurship. She was hired right when I left. Uh, I'm sure she would be open to that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing, make it interdisciplinary. And that's, you know, we talk about that a lot in the university and academia. And, but I think it's now finally getting to the point where it's starting to happen. We have that in, at CSU. We have interdisciplinary uh, studies. And it's so important because the world is interdisciplinary. You work at a music festival, you have to know a little bit about economics. You have to know a little bit about sociology. You right. have to know a little yeah. bit about um, planning. Yeah. Um, things like that. And it's it's a great it's just such a great immersive experience. And that is awesome. So what's Fort Collins like? It's great. It's, it's a lot like Denton. Uh, it's a small college town that is slowly becoming a city. Yeah. Um, it just, I always say it's for, it's Denton in the mountains. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yes. Yeah. With a lot more beer. It, was, uh, it is the Silicon Valley of beer. Nice. Without a doubt. Yeah. It's I'm blown away by the beer they have there. Uh, but music is a big part of the city. Yeah. Um, biking is a huge part of the city. Yeah, they've got a big bike hiking. Oh yeah. Like trail, like they're yeah, yeah. crazy. It's, it's a whole ecosystem that you get into when you're mm-hmm. on a bike there. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Absolutely. Bikes. I need to come visit. We need you, to come I don't visit, know why man. you don't. You should. I love, I love yeah. Colorado. That's no, great. Um, yeah, it's great. It's and, great. Uh, get away to the mountains, but we also have uh, the Bohemian foundation in the city <laughs> bunch of hippies they have a bunch of hippies um, <laughs> what, do, what do they do it uh they Secret are society. they do a lot of different things it's a, a foundation by the uh, sh- uh pat striker who uh their family uh are, are involved with like medical devices like hospital beds oh, okay like and so it's a foundation you know they were very successful and one of the missions of the foundation is to foster the development of music in northern colorado oh cool yeah so they uh we have the music district in downtown fort collins which is i don't know physically i'd say it's maybe like half a city block of restored and adaptively reused buildings Uh, i think a couple of them were old sororities beautifully redone but it's a place where if you are interested in music you can come and you can learn recording techniques you can learn how to scratch. You can learn Ableton. You can go meet your guitar teacher. They have awesome, uh, low cost rehearsal studios. Like the best rehearsal studios I've ever been shiny rehearsed up there for a show. That is crazy. Yeah. And then they have education programs. So they have people come in and talk about the music modernization act. Uh, they'll have 
people that are, let's say, uh, uh, excellent salsa musicians come in and talk about salsa. And then they also have people that are in the industry side of things, and that's starting to ramp up. And so if you're a band, it's like, okay, well, look, I've been a manager for 15 years. I happen to work here. Let me tell you what you should maybe think of next. Yeah. I can help you with that. Um, so it's great. And they have. Uh, but the, the foundation funds it, though. It's the a, foundation a, has oh, wow. funded it, redeveloped it, and it's. It's so cool. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful That's place. There's also incubation incubation spaces for uh like there's a promotions company kind of that oh. has offices there yeah and they um oh yeah and a radio station like uh kuzu very similar to that they have uh, office space there so that's great they have two venues uh, in town and they uh schedule awesome bands. i just saw cursive play washington's um so there's there's a lot of things that are coming online and then they also work with take note colorado which is a former governor Hickenlooper's program to make sure that if you are a youth in Colorado, you have access to musical education, whether you're in school, out of school, in, incarcerated, unfortunately, um, or otherwise usually uh, maybe a marginalized population for music education. They, you can get music education and they'll figure out a way to do it. And that is amazing. That's like a moonshot sort yeah. of program. And it's so far it's working and it's, bringing music education and if you look at somewhere like iceland you know like i love uh bands from Reykjavik. goose goose I is know, one right? of my favorite band of all time <laughs> i have not heard them uh electronic trip hop from the 90s oh man they're I still mean, going too they're is it like like the animal goose goose well, it's actually spelled gus spell gus yeah okay yeah i've seen that yeah but okay. it's uh, it's actually pronounced goose 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 yeah, yeah. Um, as the Icelandic say, yeah, yeah. the suave people. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you're talking about a country of 300,000 people with most of them living in Reykjavik. Yeah. But who believe the in number, like elves and stuff. Oh, still. yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's totally into that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God bless. Them. Uh, but like the number of gold albums, I mean, I've never done a study, but it's got to be one of the really highest concentrations. So yeah, someone, York and yeah, exactly. Yeah, Seagull Ross, Monsters and, and Man. It just goes on and on and on. Oh wow! So it's like how did that really, happen? I never thought about that yeah. before, but that's a what? The, by no means on paper should that work. I just figured maybe it's really boring up there, and they got <laughs> nothing else to do. So yeah, yeah. let's play some instruments yeah. and write eight-minute atmospheric yeah. ambient songs. Yeah. But you know, it turns out <laughs> one hypothesis that someone actually researched on was that their music music education system is amazing and it turns out similarly for the amount of population they have their primary and secondary education in music is way above most countries and so what this researcher found is that it's not that everyone became this awesome musician it's that everyone appreciates music to some degree. It's a cultural thing. Yeah. So they go on see you have bands. an appreciation for yeah. culture now that yeah. you didn't have before. Yeah. Because everyone, to a degree, from what I've told, can play an instrument. But but most, I mean, if you look at the the history of <clears throat> you know humanity, you've got you've got countries that have recognized the need for music to be part of the culture, right? Over and over and over. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, I mean, from the government's perspective, even right. What is the issue in 
the United States with that because there's mm. the stuff that happens here. It's like if it promotes, if if it, it's very capitalistic, right? Right. Sort of free market. Mm-hmm. It's it's a free market approach to culture, right? Which gives you what we have now, which is like you know bands typically are playing playing to sell beer for the owner, right. for the owner mm-hmm. of a venue. We go over to Europe, go over to probably Iceland. You've got a lot more support from the government on sure. arts and culture. I mean, you have entire venues mm-hmm. oh, yeah. that are completely run by the government. I mean, it's, you know, but they produce great stuff and they have good shows. That's one thing I found whenever we would have European bands come here and we would be at the beginning of the leg of the tour mm. and we were the first American venue they played the disappointment, <laughs> the palatable disappointment oh, they got, yes. and I had to occasionally. I was I had to like say, "It's not just us. Mm-hmm. It, th- it this is what America's like. Like you're not going to have a good sound desk. You're not going to have a sound guy that knows what he's doing. <laughs> it, it's going to be like sure. you're not going to get dinner. Like dinner's going to be the ten bucks I hand. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's a different world. And yeah, man, totally. people people get over here. I mean, people really didn't like touring america you know so um no i think you know i think that'd be a great cultural thing to happen for us and i think you know we can do it as a city though because that's what they're doing in colorado like i'm right right it is it can be done you know yeah i think in general and other people can talk much more about this more astutely but Cities are becoming the more powerful political entities of the country. I mean, that, that's been that way, but now it's to the point where right. I think in many ways power is shifting because you can get things done quicker in a city. And it, it's, you know, if you're relying on the federal government for arts or cultural policy, oh, yeah. you're going to be relying and waiting for a long time. But cities, you know, it's much more nimble. Yeah, and now that as we see with how the urban economics things have changed, and how the economic landscape in general has changed, and cities are redeveloping in certain ways, I mean, now's the time because you know, and and that extends to the suburbs as well. You know, it's Colorado. You have uh, suburbs that are just as culturally adept as a city, and it's you know, think regionally and, and just look at that because that's a much quicker turnaround. Yeah. And I mean, that's why it's so important to vote in city elections. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's the best vote you got. Yeah. Is who's got the vision for this sort of thing. And right. Because I mean, you see it like I do. I mean, it's economic development. Mm-hmm. It really is. So what is the next big thing you're working on up in Fort Collins? Well, I'm helping to redevelop the arts management program. At the Leap Institute for the Arts. Gotcha. What you mentioned before, yeah. Right, yeah. right. And that, that's coming up in the spring, you said. Um, we'll have, well, we're starting now, but it by fall, uh, it's going to be much more, uh, a higher profile. Okay. Uh, we're, we're just scrambling, creating classes, kind of, we're getting things. We had a, a leadership change there, and we're basically given the go to, make this a cutting edge program for now and the future. So we're working heavily on that and uh, uh, having grad students come in and kind of recruiting and uh, it's, it's going well. Uh, 
we big project is the uh, Music Cities Convention Colorado is coming. Uh, we a group of us. The other thing about Colorado you have to understand is it's not that. I mean, the entire state is population wise the size of DFW. Everyone knows everyone, and everyone works together really well. It's, it's great. So uh, my friends and colleagues in Denver and in Fort Collins, we all got together and we convinced Music Cities Convention to come to to the the Denver Fort Collins region. So it'll be two days in Denver, two days in Fort Collins, and it, it it's a way to talk about policy, um, live events, uh, healthcare. Everything you can imagine relating to music and how music is embedded in a city. Uh, so we're bringing that out, and that that will be a fairly big event. That's awesome, without a doubt. Yeah, man, and you probably get some of this too. But like the the DIY punk rocker in me has mm-hmm. always been like has always frowned upon like the <laughs> the the participation of you know anyone else but me right. doing my thing i'm gonna figure this out sure, sure. but like after talking with you though i'm like i'm kind of excited about like the potential for a city like denton to do stuff like that and to like just be aware of what's happening and that awareness mm-hmm. could give give us some really great ideas on how to how to move forward with this like great gift we have right in our lap you oh know? yeah totally oh. Uh, it, it's it's interesting you know, again, Denton is just so rare that you you have so many house shows. Like, Agreed, yeah. <laughs> in Fort Collins, that's not the case. Why is that not the case there? Um, you know, but I, I, I haven't been there long enough. Uh, but I think part of it is... Small the, houses. Uh, the city is rapidly becoming um, a place where people are... Like, it's a college town where people are actually living. Whereas Denton, you still have that cluster of rental houses that will always be students. Right, yeah. And, you know, that hasn't turned... Uh, but Got in Fort Collins, I do think one of the problems is people are, you know, not a problem, but, you know, people, it's a great place to live. So people yeah. are buying the houses that no, maybe 10 years ago were house shows. Yeah. Um, but I think there's there's many other variables that go into that. But that's, you know, <clears throat> that's when you start to look at, well, you know, you need an all-ages DIY venue that is not just a house, but not a music venue, Somewhere in between, yeah. kind of like the Vera Project in Seattle or Flint Local 432 in Flint. Um, so I think that's like something that the future mm. cities should really think about. Because in, in a way, I mean, they're so sophisticated now. A lot of them are 501c3s. It gives the chance for any kind of genre to learn how to become bands and then go on from there to play you know, legitimate venues. Um, but it also has things like screen printing. How do I screen print my own merch? Yeah. Um, classes in entrepreneurship. Uh, again, the you know how do I program Ableton? You know things like that. There's so many different opportunities you can have. Uh, big car in Indianapolis is a great example of a really multi-dimensional. It's an, it's an all ages DIY venue, but it's really also kind of a community yeah. space. And I think that's the way a lot of things are going, especially now that you know real estate in urban. Most urban regions now is becoming more expensive. Yeah. And it, if the city wants to retain, you know, talking about retaining talent, it used to be you think, well, we'll get those people when they graduate college and we'll get them to live here. Well, you know, it's not inconceivable that a student, when he's in high school, plays in a band and is programming an app. It's like that's the people you want now. Not only do you want to have them come after they graduate from their undergraduate, 
you want to keep that student that is awesome that graduated high school to go to your regional college. Yeah. You know, you want someone graduating from Ryan to go to UNT. Yeah. And yeah. And the big problem I see is we've got slots available at UNT, mm -hmm. but we don't have jobs for them to have coming out. Like how many people graduate? Like a couple of thousand. Yeah. There aren't that many jobs available. Right. You know, that that's the, that's the issue, you know? And I think, you know, UNT, a lot of what I hear from, uh, especially like com design and the music department, if you're sticking around Denton to do what you're, we just taught you to do, mm-hmm. then we've failed you. you know? <laughs> like there's a little bit of that culture too. Yes, like, yeah. wh- wh- why are right you doing that? that? Like right. we just gave yeah. you a legitimate degree. Go right. find a legit- legitimate city <laughs> to like be. You know, yeah. it's tough. Denton's a tough one. Fort Collins a little bit challenged too because you, you, again you're not the major you know it's different right, if you're in omaha yeah. you have a huge population of many fortune 500 companies yeah that weird yeah that's crazy yeah. whereas you know when you're in fort collins when you're in denton you you're looking yeah. at go to dallas go to fort worth go, or, yeah, yeah yeah or or your startup company i mean there are there is you know tech I mean, there's other industries yeah. honestly the beer industry is huge in fort collins Sorry. I got a visit. <laughs> you got to come. I got a visit. Gotta what are we out. thinking? It's come been too out, long. Have some sipping pretty long. by Odell's. Well, I'm so glad that you like uh, come drop in today. Yeah, like, it's, it's been so much fun to visit with you. And uh, when I did visit you in uh, Denver, we, right. we walked down that man. That was so much fun. That yeah. was a blast. Yeah, so, it was a good time. You need to come up to Fort Collins. We do. Yeah, but you know we're going to be tied down with the kiddo <sighs> a little bit. Uh, can you like? I don't know. Just give them to one of your parents for a while. Yeah, no, totally. Or just yeah, give them like absolutely. an iPad, well, an iPad with like that fish game where they touch the fish or something. Yeah, just will be will yeah. be fine. Go like watch Baby Shark. Days. Yeah, for, forever. Yeah, for, till, we're, till we're back. Build character. Make him more mature. <laughs> That's awesome. How long are you in town for? Uh, we're leaving Monday. Awesome. Yeah, got a little weekend. It's a beautiful weekend. Oh, I know. I can't so, believe how so beautiful incredible. it is. Yeah. I almost got a little spring sunburn out there is so nice well thanks again for coming yeah absolutely yeah thanks for having me a lot of fun yeah absolutely well there you have it me and mike seaman that's what we chatted about pre-coronavirus corona 911 is what we'll call this from now on anyways thanks for being with me thanks for listening and we'll see you next week